That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. Depending on who you are, it is either Liberation Day or the beginning of the apocalypse for Twitter users. That's right, after several weeks of uncertainty about whether Elon Musk would, would not, for how much, be able to purchase Twitter and take it private for somewhere in the vicinity of $43, $46 billion, well, the board has voted and they said, yes. And so he's going to buy Twitter, apparently. Of course, this follows several weeks of uncertainty, at least part of which uh, had the Twitter board talking about the poison pill approach to selling shares in such a way as to dilute the ability of any individual stockholder like Elon Musk to take over the company. But apparently they passed up on all of that and said, fine, you want to buy it? We'll sell it to you. In an SEC filing, he's got all of the funding arranged. So again, unless something weird happens, he's going to take the company into his own hands and do with it what he wills which, according to his past expressions, would include expanding the opportunity for free speech, reducing some of the limitations people have had, eliminating bots, that is a passion of his, is eliminating bots from the platform, and also making sure that everybody is is a real person, creating some kind of an edit tweet feature, and also making it possible for the algorithm, which controls how you see information on your feed, to be more public or transparent. All things that he says he believes in as a robust public square town hall kind of approach to the world's number one free speech platform, especially for politics. The offer would be about a 38. The offer would be about a 38 percent markup. Uh, the offer represents about a 38 percent markup on the price before he even started making offers or rumblings about wanting to buy Twitter. Is up about five percent in trading at the time of this podcast. All I will say is if I had my way on Twitter, number one, I love the edit tweet function, especially for just show the show the work. You know, this is what it said before and this is what the edit says. But also, I would love to be able to customize the algorithm myself to be able to select five or ten different news outlets as my preferred primary and to see most of their stuff and then to rank others in various forms. I mean, let me decide how the information comes to me. That'd be fantastic. Or even have third-party creators come in and manufacture algorithms that they could then either offer for free or for sale uh, based on what consumers want to purchase. You know, separate the algorithm from the product itself, perhaps. At the very least, let me be in charge. That's all I'm asking for. Now from the, oh my god, I can't believe this is true, science is amazing file. Yeah, it's a long file name, but bear with me. A couple of years ago, a guy posted on Twitter a picture of an apple in different phases of vividness, everything from a fully robust picture of an apple to just a white silhouette to a blank screen, and asked the question, when you picture an apple, what do you get? And asked people to self-identify. 56,000 likes and 33,000 quote tweets later, it struck something in people to realize that everybody has different levels of mental imagination vividness. Some people can imagine in their mind's eye exactly like a picture, something incredibly detailed and vivid. Other people at the entire other end of the spectrum have no ability to imagine in their mind's eye anything whatsoever, a characteristic or a condition that scientists call aphantasia. And of course, people from each group are baffled that there could be anybody in the other group. Everybody thinks that everybody else pretty much pictures things in their mind the way they do, which is not true. 
So some researchers tried to come up with a way if they could measure this phenomenon in any demonstrable physical way by looking at people's eyes. They took a whole bunch of folks who self-report as having highly visual imaginations and they had them try to imagine bright and then dark lights. Now, first of all, they did it by actually showing them bright and dark light to see how their pupil reacted. Of course, when the bright light they saw, it was contracted and when there was darkness, it expanded. And then they said, okay, now imagine bright and dark. And the wild thing is that their eyes did the same thing as if they were actually seeing the light. So the eyes were reacting based on what the brain had conjured up in its imagination in the highly visual people. So what about the folks with aphantasia? When they imagine a bright light or darkness, no change whatsoever. The pupil doesn't react. Now, scientists haven't coined the term yet, so you heard it here first. I'm going to call this dead eye. That's the dead eye syndrome. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. So now we know the real reason that Jaws attack people. No visual imagination. But it does give us interesting insights into how the pupils work because the pupils seem to be reacting to what's going on in the brain rather than what's happening directly in the eye, so to speak. But also it's the first outwardly visible cue that you would have something physical as a result of what your brain is imagining. And of course, if we're at the very beginning of this kind of research, and this is sort of the blunt instrument version of what we might eventually be able to discern, what could the body tell us about what's going on inside a person's brain even if they don't want us to know. And finally, cell phones at dinner, how to solve the problem. Well, restaurateur Rajiv Gupta in Kent, England, came up with an idea for his Spice Fusion restaurant. Wanting to generate some business during the off-peak days, they do most all of their sales Friday and Saturday, as a typical Indian restaurant does. He's trying to get people to come in on a Monday, and so he offered people a 20% discount on their bill if they came in a group of four or more, and if they put their phones away. And not just put them away, but locked them in a padlocked jail device set up in the middle of the table so that everybody could put their phones together in the padlock and not deal with them for the entire meal. Super popular. People are loving it, especially young people. More so groups of friends than families are taking advantage of it, but people are definitely using it. Sales are up. And, of course, they can get into the lock in emergencies if need be. Although, how would you know it's an emergency if you can't check your phone? Hmm. Anyway... He says the promotion is very fun. It probably won't last all that long. It's not the first time that anybody has done this in 2017. London's tea terrace restaurants and tea rooms debuted what they called, and I think the name is genius here, the phonotentiary for customers to stash devices. The Fat Boar Pub in Wexham, England had something like this. Uh, there was a place called Bisteca in Sydney, Australia that had what they called a digital detox where you had to give the major D your phone when you came in the front door. See, that wouldn't go very far with me. I can trust the padlock thing in the middle of the table. I'm not sure that I trust some stranger at the front door who just carries a Ziploc with my name written on it. Although there is a certain element of the jail cell on the table of torture in that you're going to get your food, it's going to look spectacular, and you're not going to be allowed to take a picture of it for Instagram. Oh Well, you'll just have to use the imagination in your mind, and maybe your pupils will help you remember. That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And consider subscribing to the digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Hit the five-star rating while you're going out the door or leaving the cell or unlocking your phone or whatever the metaphor is here. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.